Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Stories Season 3. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we are talking about Dead Man's Party, Season 3, Episode 2. In particular, I'll talk about the interweaving plot points between the zombie plot and the emotional plot about Buffy returning home and trying to get back to normal. Actions that show the characters' emotions, whether our favorite characters are acting consistently, and if some of the conflict here is false conflict. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Dead Man's Party was written by Marty Noxon and directed by James Whitmore Jr. In our opening scene, Buffy is unpacking in her room. She goes to see Joyce, her mother, and we get our opening conflict. Joyce is so startled by Buffy walking in that she puts a hole in her bedroom wall. She had been hanging up a Nigerian mask she brought home from the gallery. It is part of a new exhibit. And Buffy says, I think Joyce asks how she likes it and Buffy says it's angry at the room mom it wants the room to suffer that's not the conflict I'm talking about it is more this very awkward exchange between Joyce and Buffy when Buffy says she wants to head out and go see what Willow and Xander are doing and Joyce offers to make her a snack when she already made her a large dinner or to drive her and Buffy finally says if you don't want me to go mom just say so. And Joyce says, no, it's fine. This Nigerian mask also, I think, is the story spark for our zombie plot. Um, I don't know if I should call it the main plot because I feel like our main plot here really is Buffy trying to integrate back into her old life and with her friends. So we'll just say the zombie plot. This is pretty early for a story spark or inciting incident. Usually we get that about 10% into the story and we are only about one minute in. However, I do think it sets off that plot because Joyce putting up that mask is what triggers ultimately the zombies. After Buffy says she's going to find Willow and Xander, Joyce says, will you be slaying? And Buffy says, only if they give me lip. In our next scene, Buffy is walking near the bronze. She hears noises in an alley. She moves closer and someone is there in a dark coat. Buffy startles him and he turns. It's Xander. Both of them have stakes raised. Buffy says, didn't anyone warn him about pointy stakes? And says, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Xander slowly lowers the stake and says, geez, Buff, telling her she shouldn't sneak up on people. But before they can talk further, a vampire bursts through the fence. Xander's radio, which he is wearing, I think, on his belt, crackles and Cordelia says, come in, Nighthawk, you okay? Buffy says, Nighthawk? 
at 3 minutes 17 seconds in, Buffy is fighting the vampire. Willow and Cordelia rush in and grab the vampire away from her. I don't think they realize it's Buffy. The vampire kicks Oz and throws Cordelia into Buffy. And Cordelia says, hey, Buffy. At 3 minutes 30 seconds in, Buffy stakes the vampire. The others are on the ground staring at her, probably in shock. Buffy says, hey, guys, half smiles, and we go to credits. When we return, we're at 4 minutes 46 seconds in. Our group of friends is standing outside Giles' door. And Buffy says, maybe it's too late at night to knock. Or maybe he's mad. And here we get what I see as our inciting incident or story spark for what I'll call the emotional plot for Buffy reintegrating into her life. And this does come just a little past 10% in. Xander says something like, like mad just because Buffy abandoned her post, her friends, her mom, and made Giles lie awake at night and worry. And then he says, maybe we should wait out here. But Giles opens the door. He takes off his glasses when he sees her, and he looks so relieved. Xander rambles on about, check it out, look who we've got. And Giles just says, Welcome home, Buffy. And this is the first time we see a real full smile from Buffy. Inside, her friends sit on the couch and Giles asks how things are with her mom. But the tea kettle whistles, so he goes into the kitchen before she answers. Oz tells Buffy she's not wanted for murder anymore and Buffy says, good, that was such a drag. A very quick way to deal with that issue hanging out there of the police thinking that Buffy killed Kendra. Xander asks where she was. Did she go to Belgium? And Buffy jokes about, you know, why would she go to Belgium? In his galley kitchen, Giles is making the tea and he hears them talking. He takes off his glasses. He closes his eyes. He squeezes them a little tighter. We can see he's holding back tears he swallows hard and nods to himself then continues putting the tea together this moment just brings home to me what a great actor anthony stewart head is and how well directed this is because we get all of that emotion how worried he was how frightened how relieved he is and how concerned he still is for buffy in these few actions and this is something to think about for your own fiction is to try to look for those actions, those moments that will convey emotion without necessarily having to have the character say it or have inner thoughts. Those are good things too. It's not that we should avoid those because readers do want to hear your character's thoughts. They do want to hear dialogue, but it is so powerful when you have actions that show the emotions. I look at how they do it in TV shows and movies and also in real life become an observer how do people act what does their body language tell us Giles brings out a tray with a teapot and cookies Cordelia asks Buffy if she was living in a box or what Buffy says it's kind of a long story Xander asks more questions and Giles perceptive as ever says that maybe Buffy could use some time to adjust before they grill her and Buffy says 
says what he said. Sander says okay, and she can leave the slang to them. But Cordelia complains the outfits suck, but she does kind of like Xander's boy slayer look. Buffy, though, wants to get back to her normal routine, and she asks what they're doing tomorrow. Xander says he and Cordelia are busy, and Willow, too, starts to say she's busy, but when Buffy presses, she reluctantly says, well, she had some schoolwork, but she can change her plans. This is the beginning of behavior from our friends that I am uncertain is consistent with what we know of them so far, or even what we saw last episode in Anne. They were so concerned about what's Buffy doing and so anxious about her, and I understand that in there is also anger. They were afraid for months, even though Willow insisted that they not use the past tense to talk about her, they were afraid that she was dead. She didn't call. um, She didn't even send a note to say, hey, I I can't deal with things, but I'm okay. So I I get they're angry, and I I do understand this feeling of, hey, well, you just disappeared for months, and we're not going to drop everything just because you're back. But somehow the sort of passive aggressiveness of it maybe is what doesn't quite work. Xander is always pretty quick to say what he thinks, regardless of if it's hurtful. And Willow, too, is usually pretty upfront with Buffy. So let's see as we go on if this is explained. Giles mentions that Buffy will have to talk to Snyder because she is still expelled from school. So the next scene cuts to Snyder saying, absolutely not. Joyce says he can't can't keep her out of school that Buffy was cleared of the murder charges and we get a great Snyder quote he says uh, while she may be up to the not a murderer requirement for enrollment she is a troublemaker and he comments on how he feels this great pleasure a tingle in keeping her out of school and mentions that hot dog on a stick is hiring Joyce says it's not over if she has to she'll go all the way to the mayor and As she and Buffy leave, Snyder says, wouldn't that be interesting and smiles. Joyce drops Buffy at an outdoor coffee shop where she is supposed to meet Willow and tells her that maybe they can swing private school if they can't get her back into Sunnydale High. This is not at all appealing to Buffy. Joyce does try to reassure her that they will work it out. At the coffee shop, Buffy is waiting alone. She looks at her watch. There is no Willow. Now, Buffy walks to her house. Someone she doesn't know comes out. We'll find out this is Pat, a friend of Joyce's. And she has this annoying like brightness. And she too says all these passive aggressive things. Says she took it upon herself to look after Joyce while you were off and away and what have you. Refers to your situation and says Joyce was a wreck. Joyce says when Buffy walks in that Willow called, but she didn't leave a message. Next, we get what I see as our one-quarter plot turn in the emotional story. So the one-quarter turn, I call it that because usually it comes about one-quarter through, and it comes from outside a protagonist and spins the story in a new direction. And here, Joyce says she'd like to invite Giles and Willow and everyone over 
Cooper for dinner. And she's hoping Buffy will think it's a good idea because she already did it. Buffy agrees. Joyce wants her to go get the company plates. And Buffy says, Willow and everybody aren't company plate people. They're normal plate people. But Buffy goes down to the basement. She is getting plates off a dusty shelf. And then a dead cat falls off the top shelf. We cut to Joyce and Buffy burying the cat in the yard. Buffy has a great line. She says, next time I get to pick the mother-daughter bonding activity. In the next scene, Buffy lies awake in bed and she looks toward the window. I really love this moment. If you had started watching in season three and didn't know the previous episodes, I think that this still would work because it's Buffy feeling alone in her room, but it evokes so much from season two where Angel would appear at her window and even from the premiere in season two when he appeared and they kind of fought but Buffy was still sad when he left. Now we get to the one quarter turn in the zombie story. This comes from outside of Buffy. The zombie mask's eyes glow and the cat reanimates and crawls out of that grave. Next, we see Buffy. She's walking into the school. It's completely empty, and we have the sense right away that it's a dream. She goes out to the courtyard. There's sunlight. We get another teaser about Angel. I mentioned in Anne how they did this where we would just see this glimpse of Angel in a dream, and nobody knew, is he coming back? How is he coming back? I was afraid they were only going to give us flashbacks and dreams. It was was a little harder back then to find anything out. Angel appears, but he's in the sunlight, and he's walking behind Buffy. At first, we think she doesn't know he's there, but she says to him that she thought they'd be here, and he says they are. They're waiting for her. Buffy says she's afraid, and Angel says, you should be. A bell rings. It sounds like the school's bell, but it is her alarm. So here is the thing with this dream. I feel like this one is definitely here just for the fans, just to remind us about Angel. It adds to how Buffy is feeling, but I think we already know this. So this is an example of something ideally I think you wouldn't use a dream for. Readers, audience members are usually impatient with something that's just there to be like, oh, here's a cool dream or here's something the character remembers. In other episodes, Buffy's dreams have moved the story forward. So in Buffy, more so than anywhere I've ever seen it, dreams typically do work well. They are intrinsic to the plot. They tell Buffy things that she then acts on this one definitely just a nod to the fans uh, in my view but it it works because we so much wanted to know what was going on on rewatch it doesn't work quite as well because I'm already aware of what will happen with Angel it turns out Joyce has talked to the superintendent of schools she doesn't have an answer yet but she also tells Buffy just in case Miss Porter's accepts late admissions and Buffy says a girl's school and feels you know very frustrated not only can she not go back to school with her friends but no boys and here some of Joyce's anger comes through because she tells her that she made some bad choices and she just might have to live with some consequences but then she softens and says she wishes Buffy didn't have to be so secretive can't they just 
tell the police and tell Snyder about her being the slayer. She has special circumstances and they should make allowances for her. So on Joyce saying you made some bad choices, when I was first watching and making my notes, I had a separate note to myself that said, did Joyce ever ask why she left or what happened? As I was reviewing before recording, I realized that this is Buffy just got home since she was unpacking, then going to see Willow and Xander. I know this is at least another day later because we've had the meeting with Snyder, but maybe this is why Joyce's anger bursts out this way. On first watch, though, it just didn't feel right to me that Joyce is saying, you know, you made some bad choices, as if Buffy had never told her about being the Slayer. I would understand it if she thought Buffy just ran away and Joyce had no idea why, but Joyce knows there is some really serious things that went on. I don't know. I really thought the Joyce that we have known, despite that she reacted certainly less than ideally to what Buffy told her, that she would have a little more sense that if Buffy did that, maybe it was something just so bad that Buffy couldn't deal with. But perhaps she is just having trouble getting out of the idea of seeing Buffy as uh, what Snyder said, a troublemaker. Anyway, she does pivot and try to say, you're a slayer, they should make allowances. And then she says she would think that they'd be happy to have a superhero to help out. And she says, is that the right term? It's not offensive, is it? So here we have more explicitly that coming out metaphor that we saw in the coming part two when Buffy is telling Joyce about part of her identity that she has hidden. And I feel like this is part of why so many people could relate on such a deep emotional level to Buffy's story. There's this specific parallel to children who are gay or bisexual being afraid to tell their parents, being thrown out of the house when the parents do find out. And I feel it goes to any issue where the parent and the child differ on some core value. There are some religions where if the child leaves that religion, they are thrown out of the house. I related because while my mother never threw me out of the house, as an adult, I moved in with my boyfriend and my mother didn't speak to me for, I don't know, like two years. I guess I shouldn't say didn't speak to me, but she would not call me. And she would only talk to me if my dad called me, invited me over. She would speak to me, but very formally. She never asked how I was. It, it was, she would not allow my boyfriend into the house. So I didn't go there for holidays. And for her, this was both a, I'm embarrassed that you're doing this and a religious thing. And she felt very strongly about this. So when I saw this, I could so relate to this idea. You found out something about me you don't like, and there's nothing wrong about that thing, but but it's not what you are. And you are turning your back on me or you're saying these awful things to me. Long ramble, but... I think it is one of many examples. Everyone listening probably has some reason why they can so relate to Buffy in this moment. Because Joyce is not a bad person, but she is not handling this in a great way. Although here, at least, she does start trying to understand. Their discussion is cut off because as she's talking, Joyce opens the back door to take out the trash and the dead cat comes in. And they are both shocked. 
At 16 minutes, 56 seconds in, Giles comes to the house with a cage. He comments on the cat's stench. He notices the mask in Joyce's bedroom. I don't know why they have the cat up in her room, but they do. So Giles can notice the mask. And he says, oh, is it Nigerian? And Joyce says, yes. And she starts telling him about the gallery. And Buffy says something like, oh, I love a boring art talk as much as the next person. But Giles and I really need to get to the library. Uh, He tries to put her off and finally tells her she can't come with him she is not allowed on school property at the library in the next scene Oz is looking at the cat in the cage and he says looks dead smells dead yet it's moving around it's interesting and Cordelia says nice pet Giles don't you like anything regular golf USA Today Giles is not too amused Willow starts talking about dinner that evening Oz asks what kind of event is it is it a gathering a shindig a hootenanny and makes distinctions about the type of food and about the music will it be quiet will there be a band Xander is in favor of a band because he says well what will they talk about will they say to Buffy thanks for ruining our lives for the last few months and he says Buffy doesn't want to talk they don't want to talk so why not dance this does give us some clue to an additional reason that they are angry at Buffy they feel like they had to go out and try to patrol and do something about the vampires and despite that there is a bit of fun in it at least I think from Cordelia's perspective it has been something they feel ruined their summer along with the fear about Buffy being dead I know I can read all this in I I sort of wish it had been a little bit more explicit because it might have helped me understand more as we go on some of the really terrible things that they say to Buffy no one but Giles seems to have any sympathy for Buffy at all and Giles does have sympathy because he says he's not sure a big party with the band is such a good idea maybe something more intimate uh, that Buffy might be kind of disoriented right now they want her to feel at home but Willow says well what can make her feel more welcome than a big party in the next scene Buffy is in a, a pretty dress she has her hair up so she is definitely thinking it's more of a small dinner with the company plates and the doorbell rings it's Pat which clearly does not thrill Buffy and Pat says oh there you are not thinking about any more flights of fancy I hope she says Joyce invited her she hopes Buffy doesn't mind Buffy takes the empanadas Pat brought and yells for Joyce so this is Joyce as well not quite ready for that small dinner sitting down with Buffy and her friends she has brought reinforcements and we're about 21 minutes 21 and a half minutes in. So we're right at the midpoint of the episode. And that's where we typically see in a well-structured story and have almost always seen in Buffy either a strong reversal for the protagonist or a major commitment where the protagonist fully commits to the quest, goes all in, or sometimes we see both. Here we have a reversal in an emotional sense. Joyce inviting Pat is a little hint of that, but then the doorbell rings again 
again, and it's the band. And Buffy looks so confused, the band. And we see as the party goes on how unhappy Buffy is about this. So this is a major reversal because despite that she didn't want to say everything about her summer the first night she was home, she clearly wants to reconnect with her friends and they are not willing to do it. At the party, it's very loud. Buffy assures Willow when she asks that, yes, it's great, but Buffy says she was hoping it could be just them. Willow pretends she can't hear. Buffy pulls her aside into a slightly quieter spot and asks Willow, is everything okay? It feels like Willow's avoiding her. Willow just denies it. We switch to the mask. We see its eyes glow again. And then there is a scene with a car accident. A guy is dead on the ground, but he opens his eyes and stands. So this too, it's a little bit past the midpoint, but this is our reversal in our zombie plot, which is simply that zombies. This is also why I see the Buffy reconnecting plot as the main plot, because as zombie plots go, really the glowy eyes and the man coming to life feels almost more like a story spark. Yeah, we had the dead cat before, but this the escalation to a human, it doesn't really feel that big to me in the context of Buffy. I think we all expected that, well, if it reanimated a cat, there's probably people coming as well people zombies it obviously drives the story it's going to be important but it doesn't feel like a traditional Buffy monster plot and with that I will take a short break This break is a mix of mini sponsorship for the episode and some information if you have been publishing your own work or are thinking about it. So first, my QC Davis mystery series. There are three books in it. Quill, the main character, is a former child stage actress who is now a lawyer, and she has a history where she deeply distrusts police who accused her parents of murder falsely right before she was born. She had a sister who was murdered before she was born. So people ask her to try to solve crimes where the police either are uninterested, don't see what's happening, or won't investigate for one reason or another. It is based in Chicago, my hometown, and I think of Quill as in some way a fictional ambassador to Chicago because even though it's about crime, you also get to see some of the amazing and wonderful parts of the city. So there will be a link in the show notes to the box set of the first three mysteries which just came out and that is the part I wanted to share with you if you are publishing your own work if you use a program called vellum I'll include a link it makes it very easy to format and publish your work and to create a box set. So if you have a number of books in a series, it is worth putting them together into a box set because there are readers who just like we like to binge Netflix, like to binge books, and they find it more appealing when there is a bundle of books to get. This is particularly so I have found on the platform Kobo, where sometimes people will buy book one. My Awakening series is free right now. My Super natural thrillers they'll get the awakening free and then they'll buy the box set of all four books in the complete series
Back to the party. Xander and Cordelia are making out. Buffy tries to go past them without disturbing them, but Xander says something like, great party. Isn't it wonderful how many people are happy she's back? And Buffy says, seems like people I didn't even know missed me. Buffy then asks if Giles said he'd be late. This tells us so much about how Buffy is feeling because normally she is not hoping that Giles will show up and hang out with them. She really likes Giles. She appreciates Giles. But I don't think socially Giles is the guy she wants to spend free time with. But here Giles is the only one who understands or seems to understand and she is longing for that. Cordelia says it's great to have Buffy back but Xander was kind of turning her on with his boy slayer look. So I said she said that earlier. This is actually where she says the boy slayer thing. We see the masks eyes glow again then switch to a hospital. An emergency team is trying to revive a burn patient. Finally they give up. The doctor says let's call it. But the guy gets up and we hear screaming. We don't see what he does but we we know. Again this is why that zombie plot lacks momentum. I should have counted how many times we see that mask's eyes glow. Just not that exciting. And right now we don't know of any particular purpose the zombies have. We will find out. They are heading to the mask. But right now it's just okay there's zombies. At the party Buffy overhears a guy say that the party is for some chick that just got out of rehab. Joyce and Pat are in the kitchen. They're drinking shots. We'll find out later it was schnapps. Pat asks Joyce how she's holding up. And then we get from Joyce, I feel like this is the most authentic thing any of our characters have said. And Joyce maybe is the most in touch with her emotions. Of course, Buffy is only going to overhear part of this. Joyce says something like, when Buffy was gone, all she could think about was getting her home. She just knew if she could put her arms around Buffy and tell her she loved her, it would all be okay. We're now at about 26 minutes, 17 seconds in. Buffy is walking toward the kitchen and pauses because she hears Joyce and Pat talking and then all she hears is Joyce saying but in some ways having Buffy home is almost worse. I find Joyce's feelings believable and understandable. I think this is common for anybody in the midst of any type of uh, loss or tragedy. I've never had kids. I don't know what it would be like to have one of them missing or run away. But I feel like I can empathize with this idea that you think, okay, if I just could get this person back, it'll all be fine. Everything will be great. And then, yes, it is great. It is wonderful to have the person back, but you still have to deal with all the things that contributed to that happening. It also makes me think of people I've known, um, spouses of alcoholics. The thought is always, well, if that person would stop drinking, everything would be great. Everything would be fine. And it's not that the family isn't happy the person stops drinking but then there are other things it doesn't fix everything it doesn't make everything wonderful and I don't mind that Joyce says this to her friend she thinks she is talking to her friend in confidence a friend that she trusts she doesn't know that Buffy hears it I don't love Buffy's eavesdropping as a plot device it drives her now to go up to her room and start packing concluding that nothing is better with her being home that everyone might be happier if she left this is definitely the message that Buffy is getting from her friends from her family so this is just the thing
something that tips her over. So I think if she hadn't overheard this, there would have been something else that would prompt this next action. So why am I mentioning an issue with it? I guess because it it feels a little contrived that, oh, she only hears the worst part of this. But I almost feel like even if she heard the whole thing, it might have made her feel a little better that her mom says that. But the part about feeling like it's almost worse, that still might be the only thing that really stuck with her because that is the message she has been getting all night. At 26 minutes, 56 seconds in, we have more scary music, more glowing mask eyes, and more zombies shuffling in a group going in one direction. We don't know what direction yet. In the library, mostly in the dark, Giles is reading. I have no idea why he doesn't put some lights on. Giles finds a drawing of the mask and says, oh lord, He tries to call the Summer's house. A random guy answers. He's the same one who said uh, the thing about a chick who got out of rehab. And he thinks Giles is asking for Buddy. There's a lot of noise around him. He covers the phone, yells for Buddy. Nobody responds. And he says, you've got the wrong house, Mr. Belvedere, and hangs up. And that was an old TV show. I think it was just called Mr. Belvedere, where there was, an, I believe, an English butler working for an American family. It's a reference that probably doesn't work as well now but it was pretty funny then. At 28 minutes, 48 seconds in, Willow sees Buffy packing. And I see this as our three-quarter turn in that emotional plot. So the three-quarter turn should grow out of the midpoint, either the reversal or the commitment, the protagonist's actions or experience at the midpoint, and spin the story in another new direction yet again. But it is organic growing out of that strong midpoint. So here for the emotional story, this really fits. That reversal where Buffy realizes instead of her small dinner reconnecting with her friends and maybe her mom and Giles, she gets Pat and she gets this band and this huge party with people she doesn't know and everyone's avoiding her. It spins the story because it is going to prompt this major confrontation with everyone. Willow says to Buffy, you're leaving again? And Buffy says, it's not like anyone would care. And Willow says, don't forget to not write. So we do get that anger about not writing. And we had Xander's initial comment about worrying Giles, which also meant worrying Xander and Willow. And Buffy asks, why are they attacking her? She's trying. And Willow says, wow, because it looks so much like giving up. Buffy says they were doing fine without her. And Willow says they were doing the best they could. It was not like they had a choice. So again, that feeling that they had no choice. I think as I've been doing this, I think it really is what's not working for me is the passive aggressive way that Willow is saying these things like don't forget not to write. That's the part that doesn't work for me. I had a note false conflict question here. So false conflict is where if two people just talked, we would resolve this conflict. But instead, things keep happening that keep them from talking. Or there's some reason they won't talk that 
doesn't really feel authentic to the character. And I contrast this with the episode phases, where if you remember or you go back, Willow goes to Oz's to try to confront him about why isn't their relationship moving forward? Why is he still hesitant? And he is on the verge of turning into the wolf, and he has just realized that that's the case. And they don't have this conversation, but it feels real and believable that they don't, because we have set up. Oz is a man of few words. He's about to change into a werewolf and he's petrified and he he is in shock. He has not dealt with it yet himself so he doesn't have a way to articulate it to Willow. So I buy that in the short time they have before he starts turning they aren't able to get to that conversation. Although Willow does spill out a bunch about how she feels and she doesn't let him talk but again that feels real because she has been building up this feeling she has this whole thing planned about what to say in contrast in this episode yes Buffy doesn't tell her friends she declines to tell her friends what she was doing over the summer or what happened but they could be more direct with her and we have not seen any of them have trouble doing that in the past so it doesn't feel right to me that Willow instead of just saying what she has to say makes these sarcastic comments and that's why it feels like false conflict to me and we're going to get more of that because Willow and Buffy actually do start to have the conversation Buffy says Willow doesn't know what she was going through and Willow says she was she would like to and Buffy says you wouldn't understand and at first I didn't quite buy that either and then I remembered maybe that's because of that kick his ass comment from the end of season two that she thinks came from Willow. So I do buy Buffy saying she wouldn't understand. And then she also makes a good point. How can she talk to Willow when Willow is avoiding her? But there isn't a reason why Buffy doesn't call Willow out on that comment other than I I can sort of buy that Buffy isn't quite ready for that. We do get some exchange of feelings because Willow says it wasn't easy this summer and Buffy kind of says, well, I know it was hard because you missed me. And Willow, I feel like she has a legitimate point here. She's like, look, it's not just that I was worried about you. I'm having issues. She says I'm having serious dating, serious dating with a werewolf. And she is growing as a witch and and trying these things that are scary and she she didn't have anyone to talk to. Buffy was her best friend and she wasn't there. I feel like they're getting somewhere and Buffy starts to cry and we cut to another scene. We're at 31 minutes, six seconds in and I feel like this is kind of the three-quarter turn in the zombie plot. Giles is driving. He's talking to himself. He's, he's pretty funny here. Saying something about, oh, look at my mask. It's Nigerian. Isn't it pretty? It raises the dead. Americans. Someone jumps in front of the car and Giles hits that person and of course gets out to see if the person is okay but it turns out it's a zombie who attacks Giles. And I take it back. I'm, I'm not sure that this really turns the story that much. It's 
it escalates. So now we've gone from dead cat not hurting anyone to guy in the street zombie not hurting anyone, the first guy in the street, then guy at the hospital zombie who does attack people, and now a zombie attacks Giles. But all of that, it just feels like a step up, a step up, a step up. It's not necessarily a turn. Back to Buffy. Buffy says she wanted to call Willow every day. Willow says that doesn't make it okay. And then Joyce comes in, of course, right at that moment and says, what is this? because she sees the packing and Willow right away says she's running away again. And this bugs me too because she and Buffy were finally sharing and connecting and I, I didn't buy that Willow just snaps back into, well, I'm, I'm mad because she's just running away again. Maybe it doesn't matter because Joyce clearly was going to get mad regardless. She's like, what is this? Can't just come and go as you please. Which also makes me feel like Joyce didn't learn anything from what she said to Buffy at the end of last season. But I get it. As a parent, maybe that is the first thing Joyce would say. Buffy says, stop it, please. She cries. She runs down the stairs. Joyce goes after her and says, that's it. They're going to have a talk. All the music stops. Buffy doesn't want to do this in front of her friends. I think this conflict with Joyce would work better for me if we saw Buffy unwilling to talk to her mom. And we haven't really seen that. When Joyce says, well, that's it. They're going to have it out. They're going to have a talk. It makes it seem like Joyce tried before and Buffy has been refusing. And that is isn't at all the feeling I get from what we've seen. So that also makes that not quite ring true. Joyce doesn't care what Buffy's friends think. Buffy put her through the ringer and she says, I mean it and I've had schnapps. She goes on about the months of not knowing and Buffy says, and I'm so glad she says this, she says, you told me to go. You found out who I really was and you couldn't deal. Don't you remember? And Joyce says something like, you didn't give me time. Um, guess what? Mom's not perfect. I handled it badly. But that doesn't give Buffy the right to punish her by running away. I believe Joyce would make the point about, yeah, I'm not perfect. Don't you know me well enough to not take that one thing I said and not give me a chance to take it back? I was totally taken by surprise. On the other hand, I'm still struggling with the Joyce that I feel like would have tried to approach this earlier with Buffy in a more calm way or at least would have some thought of, okay, what else are you going through? She doesn't seem at all interested in inquiring what else happened to Buffy. Why is it Buffy felt this way? And Buffy says, I didn't do it to punish you. And Xander says, well, you did. So now he's piling on. And I there is a wonderful moment. She says, great. Anyone else want to weigh in on this? How about you by the dip? And of course, it's Jonathan. He pauses. He has a chip with dip on it halfway to his mouth. And he says, no thanks I'm good so I love our our Jonathan sighting and then Xander tells Buffy she was selfish and stupid Buffy says you have no idea what I went through and he asks if she tried talking to anyone and she says no one could help she had to deal with this on her own that rings true to me I would have liked Buffy to maybe say something like that sooner and when I see 
actually rings true. I'm not saying, or at least I don't think I'm saying, oh, hey, this is how I would have written it, or I want these characters to be different. I'm trying to compare them to what we have learned about these characters over the course of two seasons. So the things that are not ringing true to me, it's they're not feeling consistent with who those characters were. And granted, we did not see Willow, Xander, Cordelia, Joyce. We didn't see them all summer. We didn't see everything they went through. So perhaps that explains the feeling of of them not being quite consistent. Yet, even given that, some of these things just, I'm not finding them quite believable. It's like they're just a little off the mark. And maybe the answer is just that if everyone was just upfront with their feelings, we wouldn't have much of a story here. But I kind of would like to see how that would have played out because there would still be plenty of tension there. So Xander tells Buffy she can't bury stuff. It'll come right back up to get you. And we cut two zombies attacking Giles and he is trying to get back to the car but then he realizes his keys are out on the street so he hot wires the car and drives away. Some of these cuts back and forth don't quite work for me because how long was Giles trying to get back into the car while we had all this dialogue going on? Usually that doesn't jump out at me with Buffy though I'm sure there are times when equally the timing doesn't doesn't feel quite accurate but here that adds to the feeling that this zombie plot doesn't have a lot of momentum because well you know Giles was just kind of struggling in the street for a really long time which doesn't make the zombies feel all that dangerous. Buffy says to Xander as if she could have gone to him he made his feelings about Angel clear and I have a note that says yay Buffy because she's finally saying yeah right I'm gonna come and talk to you and that works for me that she wouldn't necessarily just point out the kick his ass thing it was Xander's attitude about Angel and then Xander he is such a jerk here I know Xander has done and said things that were not great you know he's had his petty jealousy he's been possessive over Buffy but his next line I feel like is beyond where I think the Xander we know would go because he says I'm sorry your honey was demon but most girls don't hop a greyhound over boy troubles I just don't buy Xander being that insensitive because at the very least no none of them know that Angel came back to himself before Buffy killed him but they know Buffy killed Angel and it seems like they must because Angel never came back a cafela closed they know she was fighting Angel it's not that I'm like oh I want Xander to be a nicer guy I think even with what we have seen of Xander and the sort of challenges with his personality this does not seem like something he would say Cordelia tries to defend Buffy, which makes sense. She was away all summer, so she wasn't going through this with them. Also, of all of them, Cordelia is probably the least close to Buffy and probably feels the least betrayed. Cordelia says something like, put yourself in Buffy's shoes, and she says, I'm Buffy, freak of nature. Naturally, I pick a freak of nature for a boyfriend, and she goes on in that vein until Buffy says, Cordy, get out of my shoes. 
Oz tries to step in, but Willow says, let it go. Talking isn't helping. Might as well try some violence. And zombies burst in through the front window. And Willow says, I was being sarcastic. Buffy and her friends and Joyce all sort of reconnect through fighting the zombies. And this feels unsatisfying for me because it doesn't really resolve anything other than maybe with Joyce because Joyce is saying, like, are these vampires? And Willow throws Buffy a stake. Buffy tries staking one of them and it doesn't help and she says to her mom no not vamps so Buffy is leading the fight everybody's coordinating just like they used to most of them run upstairs and barricade themselves in Joyce's bedroom Pat is with them Oz and Cordelia are downstairs I think they might hide it's either in a closet or maybe in the basement where Cordelia and Xander were Pat has gotten knocked out by a zombie she's dead and the mask is knocked off the wall its eyes glow low and Pat opens her eyes and we cut to commercial. Things are quieter when we get back at least downstairs. Oz and Cordelia come out of this closet. They encounter Giles. We get some lovely dialogue. Cordelia says, how do we know it's really you and not zombie Giles? And Giles says, Cordelia, do stop being tiresome. Cordelia says, it's him. Oz says the dead man's party moved upstairs, so we get the title of the episode. Giles says they're after the mask. It has the power of the zombie demon with the evil eye, and if one of the zombie puts it on, it becomes evil incarnate. So now we find out, when we're almost at the climax, what the zombie's purpose was. And we get the climax of the zombie zombie plot because the zombies break into the bedroom. Pat, though, has stood and Joyce is thinking, oh, Pat's not dead. And she goes to hug her and Pat flings her away and puts on the mask. Her eyes flash and there's this big flash of light that kind of fills the whole room and all the zombies cower from her. Xander says to Joyce, generally speaking, when scary things get scared, not good. Pat and Buffy fight. Pat flashes her eyes at Willow. Buffy knocks Pat out of a window and into the front yard. Downstairs, Giles and everyone are fighting more zombies and Giles yells to Oz that he should go tell Buffy the power is in the eyes. You have to go to the eyes to defeat it. Oz runs out to the front yard and yells, Buffy. Pat's eyes are flashing. There's white light everywhere. Buffy has a shovel and she says, hey, Pat, and thrusts that shovel into Pat's eyes and says, made you look. There's white light everywhere. Pat and all the zombies disappear. And Oz says, never mind. So this climax of the zombie plot, I would have liked to have seen more parallels between this climax and an emotional climax. It is there a little bit. Pat has been a representation of maybe the worst of the way everyone has been. She's saying these really passive aggressive things to Buffy. She is something of an obstacle between Buffy and her mom when it comes to that dinner. And if the whole thing had focused on Buffy and Joyce, this defeating of Pat would have felt like 
this emotional catharsis as well. But while Buffy has defeated Pat, and I think, you know, maybe she and her mom are going to be okay, it doesn't resolve the key conflict here, which has been between Buffy and her friends. That emotional plot, yeah, okay, they're all working as a team again, and it feels good, and they're glad to have her back, and we'll see in the falling action, they sort of seem like they make up, but it, it doesn't feel resolved. And I want it to resolve because it seems like it was the main plot. There just wasn't that much to that zombie plot. So we're at the falling action. That is the point in a story where we tie up all the loose ends. And here it starts about 40 minutes, 20 seconds in. Joyce stumbles downstairs, runs for Buffy and hugs her. So she has that moment she wanted to put her arms around Buffy. And she says, honey, are you all right? And Buffy says, yes. And I I feel like there I do appreciate that resolution because I feel like Joyce is asking more than just, are you all right from the zombie episode? She is really conveying that yes, she loves Buffy and she is concerned for whatever Buffy has gone through. And Joyce then asks, was that a typical day at the office? And Buffy says it was nothing, half joking. So here too, we do have some resolution because I feel like Joyce has gained more understanding of what Buffy's life is like. Maybe it is consistent that Joyce just did not get it, did not think to say, hey, something awful must have happened. Like, what is it? Because she was told Buffy's the slayer and she never saw what Buffy goes through on a day-to-day basis. Though you would think that maybe Giles would have filled her in over the summer and given her some sense of that. Her friends, though, they don't have that excuse. All the same, they're acting like everything's okay. Okay, and we switch to Snyder's office. Giles goes in. Snyder, I think he says something like, well, you're probably here about Buffy. And he's like, his view is good riddance. Giles tries to reason with him. And Snyder kind of scoffs at him and is like, yeah, fine. Go go see the city council. You're not going to get anywhere. And Giles says, how about the state Supreme Court? That Snyder is powerful in local circles, but Giles can make life difficult for Snyder professionally. Snyder is not convinced. He says that and Giles shoves him against the desk and says, would you like me to convince you? In the last scene, we are back at that coffee house again and Willow and Buffy are talking about Willow's summer and witchcraft and Buffy asks if it scares her and Willow says it has. She tried to communicate with the spirit world and she talks about some other things and Buffy says she wishes she had been there and she's sorry. Willow says she understands Buffy having to bail and she can forgive that she has to make allowances and be a grown-up. A little of this is, you know, Willow saying it seriously, but she is also purposely adopting this tone of uh, superiority. And Buffy says, you're really enjoying the whole moral superiority thing, aren't you? And Willow says, it's like a drug. Willow then calls Buffy a runaway. Buffy responds with an insult and they kind of playfully trade insults until we cut to the credits. 
So that is it for the episode, other than spoilers, where along with a couple other things, I will talk about why we left some of these emotional issues unresolved. So I hope you'll stick around for that. If not, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to the patrons who support the show on Patreon. I hope you will all join me next Monday for Faith, Hope, and Trick when there is a new slayer and a new villain in town. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. So it's no accident that Giles is the only one who understands in this episode what Buffy is going through. And we'll see that drive the emotional side of the plot in Faith, Hope, and Trick because he will push Buffy in a very subtle way to talk about what happened. So I think that is why we don't get Buffy telling her friends what happened. Probably that was a difficult writing assignment to say, yeah, have this story about Buffy having trouble reconnecting with her friends, but she can't tell them what happened because we have this great next episode where that is going to be so key. So I, I imagine that had to be a real challenge to do. Other uh, foreshadowing or not foreshadowing, that last last scene with Giles and Snyder, as best I remember, we never really follow up on that. Yes, Buffy does get back into school, but we are told it's because the school board requires it. So it's unclear if Giles had any influence on that and him threatening Snyder kind of physically that really isn't followed up on either so I'm unsure why that's there other than I love to see Giles so protective of Buffy and just pulling out all the stops maybe as I go through the season something will jump out at me as oh that's why that scene was there Xander saying it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. That foreshadows season seven when Xander will lose an eye. My recollection is that he even comments on that about all the later on about all the things people say and how you know people say this until someone loses an eye like why is that a saying. So that's kind of interesting. I wonder if they knew in the really long run that they might do that with Xander or it's just something that the writers then picked up on or completely completely accidental and I am reading things in that are not there. We also get another hint about the mayor in this episode. So last season we got a few of those and now we get this hint when Joyce is going to go to the mayor and Snyder says, well, wouldn't that be interesting? Clearly Snyder thinks the mayor would be against Buffy. Eavesdropping. I don't know if it is foreshadowing or if it is just this is a device the writers use. Not just eavesdropping, but eavesdropping and hearing only the worst part. There are two more times I can think of when this happens again. Both of them bother me more than this one. As I said here, I'm kind of okay with it because what Buffy hears really fits with what's been going on in the episode. And I do think she might react almost the same way. 
if she heard all of it. In contrast, we'll see one where Dawn mistakenly lets vampires into the house. And Buffy is ranting about it later and saying just, I get that she's angry, but she's saying, you know, she something like she is just this idiot who's going to get us all killed. And we find out as that season goes on, that must be season five, that there are reasons why Buffy is so angry. And she follows up with saying something like, I'm just worried about her. I can't be here all the time to protect her. And Dawn, of course, doesn't hear that. And it prompts her to do, uh, I forget what, but something really dangerous, kind of doubling down on Buffy's point that she's acting like an idiot. And it, it just has always bothered me because it felt so contrived. And then there is an even worse example. After Dawn finds out she's the key and Buffy is talking to Joyce, and when I say worse, I mean worse in that it feels artificial, the things Buffy says, because Dawn's upstairs and Buffy says to Joyce something like, well, she's not my sister. She's not a person. She's just this key. She's not even human. They don't know Dawn has heard this, but Joyce kind of says Buffy, and Buffy says, no, I'm just telling you that's what she's probably thinking right now. That one really bugged me because it just didn't feel believable that Buffy would say that even in trying to supposedly represent what Dawn's saying. Or at least it felt very contrived. So maybe my issue, it's less with the eavesdropping and hearing part of something, and it's more with when the something the person says just feels put in there for that purpose. So that's also probably why it works better in this episode because I believe all those things that Joyce said. I believe she would say them. So going back to where I started the spoiler section, these unresolved emotional issues, they also inform not just Giles recognizing this and being the one to finally help Buffy come to terms with her feelings or at least talk about them. They also inform Buffy's feelings when Faith comes to town next week and add to the conflict between the two of them. So I do like that that is set up so well. So I do like that we set up so much for the next episode, which I I love the emotional resolution there. So maybe I should just be happy that they left so much to come. That is it for this episode. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you will come back next Monday for Faith, Hope, and Trick. You can tweet me, Lisa M. Lily, hashtag Buffy Story, or email me, Lisa at LisaLilly.com. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2020. All rights reserved.